We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on local now, channel 525. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. One of my personal favorite entertainers of all time, David Byrne, talking heads. Quite prolific, quite a live show. I know you're saying, keep it to yourself, Black. Eh, let's share a little bit. I try to share my financial knowledge. Hopefully you try to share something with me. We're all good at something in my belief. One of the things that I do on this show is try to help you get to retirement, either through increasing your investing, IQ, stamina, acumen, whatever you want to say. Maybe your awareness on what sort of numbers you're going to need. Maybe some concepts about like things like retiring early may not be the greatest idea because you have to pay for things still, and it's more expensive if you retire early. What? Like healthcare. You lose that group mentality. So one of the things I do on the show is I do a segment called Hints, Tips, Tricks. Another one I do is emails. Drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. Another thing I want to do is kind of like taking down the Buddhas or taking down the gurus. And I don't have a title for this segment, but that's the basic idea. I'm not a big fan of following someone like Tony Robbins and going, he knows how to make money. I'm going to pay attention to him. You know how to make money. Pay attention to yourself. Let's not blame the world and say, woe is me. I've already given you some apps. I've given you some ideas. I've shown you the history of Wall Street. It goes up over time is the hint. So you don't have to, like, that's your cheat sheet, right? But some people like Susie Orman show up on TV and we were like, oh, she looks like she's wearing an expensive shirt. I should talk to her or listen to her. And it's almost the farthest from the truth. I like Jim Cramer's, but not to put your investment dollars with for infotainment. Later in life, you could kind of like say, well, oh, I was so naive. I believed everything he said. There has to be something like that in your life where you, you look back at your and you go, man, did I was I overzealous with something? I don't want you to be overzealous with gurus. So let's get to it. Suze Orman came up with a list not that long ago that I started talking about called Big Money No-Nos. And in my first iteration of this, it's things like don't lease a car where I can understand leasing a car. But generally speaking, I think that's right. She said something along the line of don't co-sign a loan with a friend or family member because you're going to be on point for paying it back if they can't. And you don't want to ruin your credit in the name of them. And again, I mostly agree with that. She said something along the lines of just don't sell stocks where she said, you know, don't look at bad personal times in your life as a a moment to sell stocks or bad times on Wall Street as a, a moment. Look at the history. And I'm like, okay, maybe I kind of agree with that. Don't let holiday spending get out of control. I agree. Scrooge was an investor guy. Sometimes we say it the same way, slightly different. But also, these are really easy to, to attack. 
like don't take social security too soon. Yeah. These are like almost no brainers, which I guess is good. Because again, we have to be reminded. Don't let the fear stop you from getting rich. Okay, that's one where Suze Orman says that, and I'm like, that's a little bit aggressive, where don't let fear stop you from getting rich. She's wealthy, and she loves showing it. She didn't get wealthy from investing, and yet she'll say you should consider investing. I have a problem with that. She got wealthy from selling you books and selling you very costly seminars that tell you a lot of things that, honestly, I'm bringing up this list because it's like 20 no-nos or 40 no-nos. I think we know most of these, but also at the same time, they're free. And if you were to pay for these, you would be a fool. Here's an oldie, but a goodie. Don't ever take out a payday loan. I could not agree more. You're saying, Rob, you're sounding like you really like Suze Arbin. Maybe, maybe these no-nos are the way to start off my relationship with her. Maybe I can fall in love with a woman who's 99 years old and, and drinks children's blood to stay alive. No, no, that's... A legend. <laughs> I'm just being a jerk. Um, don't take out a payday loan. Payday loans are like 36% to get your own money. And when I put it that way, 36% to get your own money is too much. If you want to take a payday loan with me, I'll charge you 26%. And I'm still making a killing. And then someone's going to come along and charge 18%. And what I would say is try to find a family member who, you could, who could front you two weeks of pay. Because if you're taking out 36% to get you your own money, you're never going to succeed. They're tempting. They're relatively easy to get when you're strapped for cash. But the typical annual percentage rate could be as high as 400%. On your credit card, it could be 17%. Some states are doing you a favor and capping at 36%. But they're not good product. And that brings you to the idea of good product, bad product. I think student loan debt's good product. If you get a degree, that will, will lead to you being able to pay it back. And I think mortgage debt's a good debt. But I think payday loans are bad debt. Don't become a landlord, Sue Zorman says. And I'll agree with this one and I'll disagree with this one. Uh, there's multiple ways of becoming a landlord. If, if she's talking about like don't, spinning 24 7 3, 6, 5 as that guy from one day at a time with all the keys and the janitor work of keeping property i agree with that that's a lot of work and there's a legal liability issue there that always makes me a little bit cringeworthy i don't want to be on the hook for answering the call at four in the morning like schneider from one day at a time I don't want to be that guy when your hot water goes out, you call me. I'd rather you call my property management. And that's where becoming a landlord becomes, okay, you can save 8% with a decent property company. That's what they're going to charge. Now, if it's in a vacation rental zone, you're going to be paying not 8%. You're going to be paying 30% for property management. But I'd rather have property management or I'd rather not do it. Or I'd rather buy something like a real estate investment trust, a REIT, an R-E-I-T. We'll talk about a REIT and how you can become a landlord without actually owning a 30-year mortgage and doing the property management yourself. That's coming up. Um, here's where CZ Orman drives me crazy. Don't let vacation time go unused. Well, if you got a big project and it goes unused, it goes unused. I'm not going to tell you what to do. But yeah, in theory, 
If you get paid to sit at home, take it. I'm with that. It's also like, don't let those virtual dollars go unused. If Starbucks says, hey, you've got 10 tokens, you get a free coffee. Take it before those tokens expire. It's almost stupid, right? But I guess we have to say this on occasion. Here's a no-brainer from the list of no-brainers when it comes to financial issues. Don't put blind faith in a financial advisor. I agree with that one. Um, a financial advisor should be adding value services to you. I've been audited by the IRS. It's not fun. It's not horrible. It's not, you know, it's so funny because in this day and age of hashtags and everything, you're like, careful what you say. I'd be like, it's not like Nazi Germany. I can't say that. It's not like um, a death bar. It's not like, like, what do you say that's not offensive anymore? It's not like a marathon with no toes. Oh, and suddenly the no toe lobby is mad at me, right? But don't put blind faith in a financial advisor. But at the same time, you should feel like there's a comfort level there. Don't look for, if they're selling a lot of product and sometimes it sounds offensive, take your time. You don't have to sign anything today. Call me. Call someone you respect who's financially well off. Having a financial coach who's not a financial coach, but somebody you can go to. Anytime I give speeches at, at various um, companies, think big companies like Avisa, I'm always happy and thrilled to hear that they've got like, oh, and don't forget, they're like doing introductions of people. And they're like, and don't forget we have a network breaking out group for uh, women with small children who are under the age of 35 at the company next week. And you're like, I'm like, that's so cool. Networking with people who are in your similar world, but also like networking with a group above you. So you can kind of follow in their footsteps, so to speak. I think financial advisors, you should, I like the CFP designation, but we're all going to be different. I don't want my insurance agent selling me investments. I don't want my investment agent selling me insurance. So I, I like there, and again, catch the key word here. I like there to be a Chinese wall. You can't say Chinese wall anymore. I'd like there to be a very big wall between us and China. No, you can't say that. Uh, so between us and the financial advisor, the great financial wall of China. No, you can't say that. I would like there to be a, uh, an insurance. Well, okay. You get the idea. I like my, I like the financial planning designation because in theory, he gets to know the products like insurance and investments, which are very different. And again, do I want to have insurance in my life? You bet. In case I die early, I want my income insured with term life insurance. I don't need whole life and I don't need variable life. I know that most people don't. And you get a bad insurance agent, he's, sell, he's willing to sell it to you. But he's also willing to sell you a mutual fund at 6% load. No, thank you. The fees and commissions of having a middleman to investments can be problematic. I prefer there to be almost no fees with the financial institutions because that kind of exists with big companies at this point in time. And to be a modest fee with a financial planner. But again... Don't put blind faith in a financial advisor. It's, it's obvious, right? Question the fees and question what you're getting in service. Take your time. If they want you to sign something, say, hey, I need 72 hours. And they're like, but I need an answer today. And you go, well, I don't know how to read. And just start not lying, but say, I don't know how to read. I can't process things. I'm having a bad day. I need more Xanax. I got to go. Bye. And, and read your document. 
take your time. Know what you're buying. If you're paying anything over 1.5%, question it big time. If you're paying 5% for a transaction, ooh, it's going to be tough for you to win. 3% is going to be tough for you to win. Take your time when working with financial experts. I'll agree with Sue's on that. We're talking investing, saving, getting into retirement, and much, much more. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black. Talking about ways of creating wealth. I try to hit a variety of topics on this show. Um, because I know we're all different and we can all figure out different ways of accomplishing not the same thing, but getting to retirement in theory. Um, how we do it, I don't think there's any one answer or one size fits all or one comfort level that I want you to like be really comfortable with. That's where I see problems. When I was probably 17 years old, let's say one year before I became enlightened. I was like, maybe multi-level marketing would be an option. Then I turned 18. I'm like, okay, maybe starting my own business would be an option. And then as you get older, you're like, well, maybe I could save more money. Maybe I could have more passive money become active money. Yes, yes, yes. You're saying everything perfect. In my opinion. (laughs) Again, I want to be careful on how I coin that or turn that phrase um but it's out there one area that i think we approach incorrectly as a nation is real estate a lot of us think we have to own a property to own real estate yes we want to own stocks bonds and real estate that's a very you know starting premise on this show depending on your age and depending on your situation you may want to tweak that and maybe add something take away something i get it But one of the big things that we make a faux pas on is thinking that we have to own that real estate. A 30-year mortgage is probably one of the things that caused me to lose hair or have hair turn gray or caused me to turn to the the beverage, you know? It's a little bit of a thing when you're writing checks for $3,500, $4,000, $4,500 when you used to write rent checks for $300 living with two or three other people, right? So that tie towards a 30-year mortgage kind of upsets me. I want you to own the home you're living in. If you're over 25, it might stay there for 5, 10, 15 years. Ultimately, to me, the first house that I wanted to own, it didn't have to be the one that I would be entertaining dates on. And the first home, in theory to me, needed to be when I settled down and crossed the threshold and uh, made a baby and, and put roots in a community. I think for me, renting apartments was probably, would have in hindsight been a better idea than owning property. But again, maybe starting your training wheels is important. But there's something also called REITs, Real Estate Investment Trust, which I do want people to consider as a way of owning real estate. I had a friend who was a police officer in Oakland. And he said, I can't afford Oakland. So what he did was he ended up buying a rental property in Tampa where he wanted to retire. 
and he rented in Oakland until he retired from the force, moved to Tampa to take over his rental, which is now his retirement place. Okay, that's one way of doing it, right? Another way he could have done it was rent here and buy publicly traded real estate investment trusts. He would have got the equity exposure to real estate without the 30-year mortgage. I like publicly traded REITs. There's a good website where you can learn a little bit more called investinreits.com. What role should REITs play in your portfolio? I think a big one. Over time, a more important one. If you start in your 20s and 30s and say, I'm going to own 3% REITs, that's fine. You own real estate, someone manages it, and they share 90% of that income with you in the dividend. So you own income-producing real estate is the idea. If it's office properties in, say, New York and San Francisco, if the rents are going up, you get more money. If there's a crash in real estate prices due to a recession, the equity goes down, you lose more equity that goes down in value. But if it goes up, you get the idea. It's the same exact thing as real estate, but with a much cleaner way of holding it. Now, I do, I do not like private REITs. I do like public REITs. Public REITs are reviewed by the Securities Exchange Commission. So if the CEO is out having a party every night, hiring prostitutes and drug dealers and uh, other nefarious activities going on, the SEC would probably catch that in the financial disclosures. Whereas if it's private, you don't get the right to know. So I think REITs are important for you to learn about if you've never learned about. I know you've probably learned about growth stocks and tech stocks, and you've probably learned about bonds and IOUs. REITs are companies that generate income through rental properties. They could be through industrial properties, storage properties, apartment complexes, strip malls, healthcare uh, buildings. You could invest in the theme. Do you think cancer is ever going to go away? Those office buildings that are within two miles of the hospital? You know, when you go to your doctor and he's two miles from the hospital and he's like, I, I can't see you on Tuesdays and Wednesdays because that's what I got hospital. I did my rounds. He, he wants to be walking distance. I think that kind of property typically does pretty well until you go, well, what about telemedicine? That's fair. That's fair. We should always have questions, right? Except nothing. REITs are a wonderful way to do the passive income stream in retirement. Part of my investment journey starts with accumulating wealth and it ends with managing it. And during the managing part, I want a passive income stream tied towards some of my investments. And because REITs have a unique structure where they have to share 90% of their income, they tend to be some of the highest, safest, not always safe, that's relative, because there's risk. In this case, there's recession risk, there's interest rate risk, there's operational rate risk, there's risk of like displacement where we used to invest in apartment rates because we always knew people would live in apartments and they stopped living in apartments and they cut off their heads and they live in a virtual space. and They no longer need apartments. I don't know. That could happen. Or corporate REITs could see an exodus of people from going to work in office space to working from home. Like things do change, but I do like REITs as a private, as a way of generating income passively. I prefer the public REITs because they're looked at 
financially speaking by regulators versus the private rates, which are not. It's Rob Black talking all things financial. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. Rob Black. Talking about focusing on wealth, getting you enough capital to raise me. To last you from 60 to 100. The basic premise of the show is that you work from age 20 to 60. Social security kicks in and you suddenly realize it's not going to be enough. One of the big elephants in the room when it comes to creating wealth is where do you start? And the big elephant in the room is that the elephant knows, the elephant remembers that shall we start with the budget? Budgets are horrible. Budgets are not sexy. Um, and yet I kind of find them like the number one, like wall of you starting your road to retirement. Yes. You want a goal, $1 million to pay you $40,000 a year till the day you die. Maybe you want a bigger goal than that. Maybe you want a smaller goal than that. Um, there's jokes about budgets. Why couldn't the bad financial advisor move the debt? Why could not? Why couldn't the bad financial advisor move the debt? Why could he not move the debt? Because he couldn't budget. He couldn't budget. So financial planners have to deal with a budget. They have to deal with your goals. They have to deal with a plan to implement what your budget can afford to get you to your goals. Right? Okay. Well, this isn't starting off terribly well. Let's talk about how the average person can do it easily in my mind. The seven best money management apps to try right now for a beginner, in my mind, yes, for someone who's a little bit more seasoned. Not saying you shouldn't look at it. In fact, I'm saying it wouldn't be a horrible thing. You can't make a budget if you don't know where your money's going or how much is coming in. Therefore, Wall Street and Technology Street, Main Street, have kind of seen something where we know there's a lot of raw data out there. We know that you have a bank feed, but now you need to understand how that that feed of data, those ones and zeros, can be visualized to help you make less of a spreadsheet and more inclined to something you could understand. Maybe it's a pie. Maybe it's a, a net negative number. Maybe it's how many years you have to, to do this until you retire. But that's the beauty about what some of these apps can do. One of my favorite apps for your phone is one called Mint. Touted as a top pick across the board every single year in the financial app media. Mint is great for beginners and anyone who's visually stimulated. Once you connect all your accounts, the free app lets you easily pull everything together, all your transactions in the last 90 days. You can tag different expenses. You can see if it's your budget, 
for groceries or your budget for alcohol or your budget for entertainment or your budget for travel, which is breaking your budget for retirement. Mint, as in money intelligence, M-I-N-T is the app. Next one up, Pocket Guard. This one helps you figure out how much you have left to spend on all your extras because it connects all your accounts and all your data and all your zeros and your ones. And then it starts subtracting your recurring bills. Now, one of the reasons I like Pocket Guard is during the pandemic, during maybe a surgery recovery, you start getting all these subscriptions. And you don't even know why you're getting these subscriptions. Like there's a big WWE match on it. So you get the 995 trial to WWE. You don't have to pay for the pay-per-view, 60 bucks. So you just do the 995, you one month. Then you cancel after the big event, but then you forget to cancel. And suddenly you're into a WWE on yearly subscription to go with all your other yearly subscriptions. Pocket Guard's pretty good at catching some of that. It's not the goal of it. But again, it, it, it starts showing you after you pay your taxes, after you pay for your 401k, after you pay for your rent, after you pay for your groceries, this is how much you're going to have for anything else. Good budget is fine if you don't like mint.com. You can connect, can connect one account, organize up to 20 envelopes or spinning buckets. It's To me, it's it's Okay. I don't know if I really like the envelope form of communication when it comes to finances, but good budget is very similar to Mint. I prefer Mint. Pocket Guard for me is great at helping you see what is a problem in your budget and where you're coming up short. But again, all these are tools and all these are tricks and all these are tips on how you should handle your money. Another budgeting app, and again, this was one that was introduced to me years ago, and I, I still look at it. It's called YNAB, short for You Need a Budget. It uses a four-rule system to help you maintain a zero-based budget, which basically means every dollar you earn is accounted for by the end of the month. It is a paid service, but comes with workshops, which are free and budgeting guides that help some people take it that extra step further. I'm not good with workout apps. I would prefer a workout app thrown in with a trainer. Same idea. So the four budgeting apps, Mint, Pocket Guard, Good Budget, and You Need a Budget, Y-N-A-B. I'm fine with Mint doing it all for me. The ones when it comes to investing, budgeting leads to investing. I want you to budget so you can figure out your expenses, whether it be your insurance, your investments, your cost of living, uh, your bills, your obligations, your entertainment, obviously not an obligation. But when it comes to investing, I, I prefer people start with Acorns. You don't have to have a sound foundation investing to start with Acorns. I believe there is maybe five to seven questions it asks you when you sign up, but the beauty about it is, is it rounds up your spending on your credit cards. So anytime you spend three bucks on coffee, it could round it up to four or $3 and 10 cents. It'll round it up 90 cents. You get the basic idea and slowly over time, it'll invest for you. And if you say, I want to do a lump sum of $25 every Friday, it's starting to automate you to investing. 
once you get a budget that you're pretty comfortable with mint.com, then you get do something like Acorns and start some sort of foundation. You get an emergency fund thrown in and you're well on your way. Now, if you want another service to start your foundation, personal capital, it's fine. It, it's a nice way for you to look at your investments and your banking accounts. It's a free app, automatically updates your net worth and helps you set goals based on when you want to retire. It's got some pretty good tools. I don't think perfect. Sometimes they don't take into account inflation and some other very important uh, metrics. It also gives you a free consultation to a CFP, which when you're younger, I think is invaluable. Not perfect, but invaluable. Like yet it's a great learning experience. And then, you know, I, I tend not to like the Robin Hood apps. That's too much of a go do it yourself, young man. I prefer the old school like Merrill Lynch, Fidelity, E-Trade, or TD Ameritrade myself. Um, but again, we're all going to be different in how we approach data and how we approach apps and what we feel comfortable with. This is a show about getting into retirement. I want you to have a comfortable retirement. So let's get you there comfortably, technologically speaking. I've been talking about the best apps for budgeting and investing. Coming up a little bit on real estate and some investment ideas tied towards REITs. Much, much more, including some of the histories of what's going on around us. I'm Rob Black. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. So I'm going to be jumping around on this show. It's a show dedicated to getting your retirement. I look at three ways of doing it, earning more money, saving more money, investing. Eh, there's a little bit more to it than just that. But that's the idea. I'm not against coupons if it's something you were going to use in the first place. I am against value or I am for value investing, value shopping, and even values on your, your education so that you can earn more money through your education. I have no problem with the simple forms of apps as a good starting point. I want you to build a good, safe compound, if you will, floor of your investment home. You got to start with a really good bottom, in my opinion. The base is important. Emergency funds, index funds should long precede anything along the lines of risk and or maybe a little shakiness, which I'm okay with. One of the things I want to do is sometimes look back at history, if you don't mind. In 2020 and 2021, we saw the launch of the Microsoft Series X Xbox and the Nintendo whatever, as well as the Sony PlayStation 5. I guess it's one of the Nintendo Switches, if I were to be fair, but I kind of downplay it. Only because, to me, there's only one true Japanese company worth talking about with video games, and that would be Sega. Let's talk a little bit of history of video games. Sega's Japanese video game company behind the great game Sonic the Hedgehog. There's something that goes on between Sega 
Microsoft, Nintendo, and Sony. Console Wars. And I'm bringing up Sega to tell you that at one point in time, they were the Sony Walkman that Apple put down. Do I think at some point in time that Sega, if they could have, if they were the Apple of their time, how did Xbox do it? Because Microsoft, I'll be honest with you, they had a very bad reputation amongst gamers that PCs were horrible platforms because even though they could handle high-end specs, they would go to the blue screen of death a lot. So on occasion, you should start thinking, okay, what do I have that is going to never go lower? And it could probably go lower. Nintendo, Sony, Microsoft, they're the big players now because they killed a company like a Sega or a ColecoVision or Atari 2600. Before Microsoft entered the fray with its first iteration in 2001, Sega was the holy grail. They were the trinity. They were the chosen one, if you will. It went from selling over 30 million Sega Genesis consoles at the height of the fame in 1993 to selling just 3 million units in its final console. And then it finally pulled the plug. What went wrong? History repeats itself on occasion, right? If you go back to 1988, there was a song called Man in the Mirror by Michael Jackson. Sony's disc jockey CD player was selling for about $400. Sega released the Sega Mega Drive in Japan. The whole world, the video game industry worldwide, was being dominated by Nintendo, whose Nintendo Entertainment Systems was by far the biggest gaming console in the market, and Sega was trying to compete with an iconic mustached plumber. The mascot of the family-friendly video game maker, Nintendo. In the United States, Nintendo held a 94% of the country's $3 billion gaming market. Sega couldn't challenge it. It was on the low end, and Sega was on the high end. And the video game market was not ready for the high end, even though Microsoft and Sony were getting ready to drop. Sega had already made a name for itself in Japan with its arcade games. And those games were very popular. Think of Donkey Kong. But at home, in Japan, the Sega Mega Drive struggled. They tried to set their sights on the West to see if they couldn't conquer that and then come back to Japan. The technologies were ever so different. Sega Genesis used what was called blast processing. Sega's reputation as a cooler, more adult version of Nintendo. It, it, it was a good image to pursue. Um, there was things like Mortal Kombat, which Nintendo could never do because of... Nintendo wanted it to be good for children, in theory. Family-friendly, image-friendly. So Sega was able to pull that off. Now, Sega had to come up with a mascot to try to appeal with Nintendos. Came up with a little guy named Sonic the Hedgehog. Sonic the Hedgehog was fast. He was cool. He was action-oriented. 
But a lot of Americans' favorite slow-moving Mario platforms where you could jump up on a stack and grab some Mario dollars and jump up on another stack and jump over a turtle. They didn't want a Sonic the Hedgehog running around loop-de-loop-de-loop catching stars or arrows or points or whatever he was catching. So it was just a slight difference of the American consumer was more, hey, this is nice and fun and slow. You just hop around. Whereas Genesis went with a action hero. In 1992, Sega had matched Nintendo in sales. Sega went from 800 million to 3.6 billion, and they were a, a player to be reckoned with. The Sega CD was an add-on service for the Sega Genesis. Was it a success or failure? It was a failure. That was the answer to the Sega Genesis. Come out with a CD player to put into your computer system, your gaming system, so to make it more innovative. It could attract new customers. Um, it would be an add-on device, and it was terrible from the outing. It, it, it never got on solid feet. One of the very first games was misogynistic. It was called Night Trap. If I remember correctly, it featured Dana Plato, and she was in different strokes, and maybe some teenage boys watched it and had a crush on her because the video game was all about setting up surveillance tape of high school teenage girls. And you're trying to help them escape from a bad guy, but it was kind of creepy all at the same time. To the point that Joe Lieberman, Joe Lieberman, that's right, congressional hearing Joe Lieberman started looking into Sega and how this was a big slip for them. Even though a technical improvement in the world, you don't piss off congressmen without paying a little bit of a price. Later, we'll learn in the video game world that sometimes controversy is very, very good for companies like Take-Two Interactive. And we get Tipper Gore getting mad at your game Grand Theft Auto. You can help launch a franchise. But sometimes you don't want Congress going after faulty software as far as being misogynistic, especially against teenage girls. Yeah, that was a bit of a misstep. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial.